This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's James, and I'm one of the interns here in Anchor. I'm also part of the Erskineville GC, which is particularly loud in this first row here where my wife is. And I'm excited to bring a message for you this morning, so why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together under the name of Jesus We thank you that you have brought us here this morning to speak to us. Uh, We haven't just come here for a religious experience, but you actually want to do something in our hearts and in our minds this morning. So I pray that you would help us to listen to what you have to say to us. And Holy Spirit, I know that you have a message that you want to speak to people in the room this morning, myself included. And so I ask that you would give us listening ears, listening hearts, listening minds to what you would say to us. We pray that you would do this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So a little bit about me. Uh, I studied a Bachelor of Commerce at uni, majoring in marketing. And one of the first things that I learned about you know, my first year of marketing was the difference between a want and a need. See, need is something of a necessity. It's like something that you kind of require to live. So food, water, housing, clothing on your back. A need is a necessity, whereas a want, a want is somewhat of a luxury. You know, you don't really need it. You kind of think that you do. But you actually don't, so whether it's something like an overseas holiday or a particular brand of car, um, going out to eat at a nice restaurant, it's not a necessity. And um, when I got married uh, about three and a half months ago, um, I realized that my wife Katie, she very quickly became somewhat of what I like to call a once alarm for me. And what I mean by that is that very quickly she helped me learn how to discern between the difference between a want and a need. Yeah, it's good. So we might be, uh, you know, we might be out on the way home after a night out with some friends, and we'll be driving down Victoria Road, and we'll see those yellow arches come up that are so inviting at that time of night. And I'll turn to her and I'll say, "Babe, can we get some nuggets?" And she'll look at me and say this phrase, this question, James, do you really need it? Or, um, you know, maybe you can relate to this. We'll be in this, in this shopping mall, Westfield, mall of your American. I'm not American, so I don't know why I said mall. But um, you'll be in the shopping center, and we'll be walking through, and this pair of sneakers will catch my eyes from the display window. We'll go into the store, Foot Locker. I'll pick them up, hold them in my hand. So beautiful. And just kind of look at them, feel the weight of it. And, and as I turn my head over to look at Katie, she'll just she'll look at me. And that question, James, do you need it? Well, when we got married, we moved into our apartment. We were doing some shopping at JB Hi-Fi for some electronics. And PlayStation 4 caught my eye. So we were walking down the aisle, and I lingered there just long enough for her to know what I was thinking. 
And she didn't even ask me the question. She just looked at me and that look had those five words in it. James, do you need it? And you know, the thing is, it's kind of funny because she's asking me this question, but I kind of feel like it's not really a genuine question. It's kind of like she already knows the answer that she wants me to say. James, do you need that? No, okay, I get it. I don't need the nuggets or the shoes or the PlayStation 4. But I thank Katie because she's really helped me to discern the difference between a want and a need. And uh, in our Western consumerist culture, I think sometimes it can be difficult for us to discern the difference between what we want and what we really need. And when it comes to the church, when it comes to this community, Anchor Church, when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you might find yourself asking, am I really needed? In a church with this many people, am I really needed? You know, when I, when I don't know what I have to offer or how I could serve or how I could contribute, am I really needed? And what I want to put to you this morning is that when it comes to each other, when it comes to us as a community, as the body of Christ, as family under Jesus, the truth is that you are so needed. We're going to get a little interactive this morning, so turn to the person next to you and tell them you are needed. Come on. That's right. You are needed. You're needed. Man, some of you said a lot more than that. You're needed by brothers and sisters in Christ. Your presence, your activity in each other's lives, that is a necessity. It's not an optional add-on. It's not a luxury. It's not a bonus. It's actually a need. You're needed. And so last week we started this two-week series, as Hope said, on needy and needed, and Mitch taught us from the Word and reminded us that, you know, we're actually needy people, despite the fact that culture interprets this as a sign of weakness, despite the fact that culture says that it's undesirable to be needy, the Bible actually teaches that we are needy both spiritually and relationally. We're spiritually needy because we need God to make us right with Him. And we're relationally needy because the Bible teaches that we were designed in the image of a relational God. And so we actually need relationship and community. And we heard that we can find comfort in our neediness. I don't know if you remember, but Mitch taught us that spiritual neediness isn't something to be afraid of. It's actually a good thing because we can be vulnerable with God. It's not dangerous to be vulnerable when it's with God. And we heard that we can find comfort in our relational neediness because it's actually a positive thing. And more than that, I would say that it's a beautiful thing that God has designed us in His image as people who need relationships, people who need community. And so what we're going to do this morning is explore that relational neediness further but from the vantage point of being needed. Because the truth is, if we're all relationally needy, if I need you and you need me, then that means that we're ultimately all also needed. So this morning, I want to share with you four reasons why you are needed. So we're going to stay interactive, except we might need to try and keep 
you know, our repetition to just that phrase. But first of all, the first reason why you need it is because your gifts are needed. Everyone say this, my gifts are needed. Sounds so good. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians. It's be up on the screen behind me. He says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So Paul's saying there are different gifts, but they're all distributed by the one Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but all that service is for the same Lord Jesus. Now to every person, the manifestation of the Spirit, what he means by that is the giving of the gifts happens for the good of everyone. And so what Paul's saying here is that the Holy Spirit actively distributes gifts to Jesus' people for the good of Jesus' church. He distributed gifts to the Corinthian church, and he has distributed gifts here to Anchor Church. And it's pretty easy to see that here, isn't it? Particularly this morning, as we think about our gathering. You know, it takes the talents and the sacrifices and the gifts of so many to pull off a Sunday gathering. Every single week, the gifts of service and hospitality and teaching and administration and encouragement and prayer and generosity and and so much more are used for the common good. On Sundays, we see this picture that as Jesus' people, we're using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us for the good of Jesus' church. And every gift is necessary. Every person who exercises their gift to make our Sunday gatherings happen is a necessity. That's why if you read chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians in, in whole, Paul uses this metaphor, this imagery of the body. Because every part of the body is necessary. You know, I've got a pretty bad knee. I, I tore my knee playing basketball maybe three, four years ago. I can't really sprint anymore. I can't jump, I can't play basketball, I can't pivot. Every part of the body is necessary. But you know, church isn't just an event to attend. And the heart and soul of Anchor isn't just our Sunday gatherings. Because we, collectively as the people, we and not this gathering are Jesus' church. That's what the Bible teaches. And so we need more than just the gifts that are exercised on a Sunday. So what I'm saying is that the Spirit has distributed gifts among us for more than just our Sunday gathering. See, the common good that Paul refers to here is the common good of the body, the common good of the community as a whole, every day, 24-7, seven days a week, not just the gatherings that are held on the Sunday. And so I want to pose this question to you. What gifts has the Holy Spirit given you? What gifts has the Holy Spirit given you for the good of the body? What has God put on your heart? What has the Spirit made you passionate about? What contribution can you make for the common good of the body? You know, you might not be a gifted musician 
or a talented a baker, or you might not be good at teaching children, but maybe the Holy Spirit has put something on your heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit has put something in your hand to contribute because your gifts are needed. You know, sometimes I think that it can be hard for us to figure out how to serve the body. It can be difficult for us to figure out what contribution that we're going to make. I think many of us have been there before. We ask ourselves the question, well, how, how should I serve? You know, I'm, I'm not good at teaching, so I'll, I'll never be a preacher. I don't feel comfortable to lead, so I, I'm not going to lead a GC. You know what, I'm actually tone deaf, so I can't sing. Certainly don't have the patience for kids' ministry. But here's the thing. The Word doesn't say that the Holy Spirit came to divide us into ministry teams. The Word says the Holy Spirit came to distribute gifts among us to use for the collective good. And so what I'm saying is formal ministry areas, formal teams, formal structures, they are helpful and they are useful because they help us to divide service into areas of need. But they were never intended to be a constraint on you using your gifts. Do you understand what I'm saying? So while some gifts may be best used in formal structures, in a band, in a hospitality team, in a kids team, and Lord knows we need those and we need more people on those teams, just because you might not be in a team doesn't mean you've got nothing to contribute. And if none of those areas seem well suited for you and you're not sure, that doesn't mean that you don't have a gift to use right now. So if you've been gifted with an encouraging heart, you know, you can use that gift right now. Maybe not right now, literally now, because like you shouldn't be talking and texting during the sermon. But after this in morning tea and during the week, you can use that gift of encouragement. If you've been given a prayerful disposition, you can pray. And you know what? There's no formal limitation or structure that's going to constrain your time and your ability to pray. You can use that gift to build up the body all the time. Whether you've been blessed with the gift of faith or of generosity or of discernment or of compassion or mercy, you don't need to wait to join a team to use that for the common good. You can use that today. You can use that every day. How are you going to use that to build up the body? And, you know, you still might be asking, I don't know, I don't know if I have anything to offer. But the Bible says that no one's off the hook. The Spirit doesn't leave anyone out. Everyone has a gift. And if everyone has a gift, that means everyone has a unique part to play. You know, the thing is, there's no perfectly well-rounded Christian who has all the gifts needed to do everything for the good of the body. And so that means that we all have a unique contribution. We all have a unique part to play. So what is yours? What is yours? Your gifts are needed. Secondly, your presence is needed. Everyone say that. My presence is needed. You know, when I was in first year uni, uh, I, I'd been away from... Christian community for a couple of years, and I came back and I joined actually my first kind of small group as an adult, and I remember turning up on a Wednesday night to the first group of the year, and my leader, he sat us all down, he gave us a bit of a pep talk, and he said, you know, the degree to which you grow spiritually from this group this year 
You know, if you, if you want to grow, if you want to get stuff out of this group, it's going to be the degree to which you put in. Sounds cliche, but, you know, cliches are cliches for a reason. And the thing is that it actually worked. There was about 12 of us, and we decided, you know, we are going to commit ourselves to being present in this group for the whole year. It was actually a more rare occurrence for there to be more of us away for than all of us to be there on the Wednesday night. You know, there was a mixture of us, uni students, workers, some young marrieds. And we bought into this group. We sacrificed for this group. Sometimes we didn't feel like coming. I remember some of the weeks I would go, I'd have a uni assignment, I'd go to group, then I'd leave at 9.30 and I'd be up that night, you know, finishing off my uni assignment. But we bought into this. We committed, we sacrificed, we leaned in. And God blessed us with this just incredibly fruitful year. We were deeply united. We carried each other's burdens. And I've never grown so much in a small group situation than I have that first year. And that's why I remember that. Because it's just this beautiful picture and this beautiful vision of what Christian community can be like when we're committed to being present. Because God has designed to work through us when we are present with each other. Your presence is needed. Listen to what the author of Hebrews has to say about this. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Should be up behind me. He says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying your presence is an opportunity to spur others on towards love and good deeds. Your presence is an opportunity to encourage others. You know, I've heard it, I've heard it said here at Anchor, uh, since I, I came here about six months ago, I've heard it said that we say attendance is an opportunity and not an obligation. Attendance is an opportunity and not an obligation. And I think that it's really good that we say that. Because it helps us guard against going to things just because we're being forced to or going to things out of obligation or out of kind of guilt-based motives. And, you know, we don't want to become a church that people just rock up to things because it's routine and you have to and you don't really want to be there, but you do it because, you know, you want to be a good Christian. We want to go to things because our hearts are in it. And so I think it's good that we say that, but I think sometimes we need a reminder that the opportunity is not just an opportunity for me, but it's actually an opportunity for we. You know, I think sometimes we need a reminder that our, our attendance is not just an opportunity for me, but it's an opportunity for we. I mean, imagine what God could do in our community if every week we decided to say, my presence is an opportunity, and not just for me, but for me to spur others on towards love and good deeds. Imagine what God could do if we rocked up and we said, you know, I don't really feel like it tonight. I'm not feeling it. I've had a long day. Things aren't going that well. I'm tired, but I'm not going to be so concerned about what I'm getting out of this because I know that God has told me, he's encouraged me to be present to encourage others. And you know the beauty of this other person's settedness in our presence 
is that if I'm showing up to encourage you and you're showing up to encourage me, guess what? We both get encouraged. We both get encouraged. If I'm showing up to spur you on, that's my motivation, and your motivation is to show up to spur me on, that we mutually get spurred on together. That's the beauty of this other person's settedness that God has made. Now, in a room with uh, this many people in it, I want to speak to what I feel might be an elephant in the room for some, because maybe you have been part of a Christian community before where you, know, you wanted to be present, you wanted to encourage others, and you wanted to be encouraged. And so you, you, you committed yourself to that, but you just didn't have that experience. You actually had maybe the opposite experience of what I've described. You didn't feel spurred on by the Christians around you. In fact, you actually felt discouraged. And maybe you were hurt. Maybe you encountered hypocrisy or insecurity or insensitivity. Maybe you encountered judgment. Maybe you felt ostracized or excluded. And I think this is a common experience. You know, we've all heard people say before, I love Jesus. I just sometimes have issues with Christians, man. And so I want to acknowledge that, you know, if you've had that experience, I'm not belittling that. Those experiences are real. But what I do want to say in response to that is, have a look what the author of Hebrews says again. Let us consider how. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. You see, what he's saying is, we won't automatically be spurred on. We won't automatically be encouraged just by virtue of showing up. We actually have to consider, how am I going to spur someone on? How am I going to encourage someone? So there's this intentionality as we consider how to do that. And if you've had a negative experience, you know, the Bible says, as we heard last week as well from Mitch, that we are sinful people and we're broken people. And what that means is that we are prone to letting each other down. And we're prone to disappointing each other. Encouragement doesn't happen automatically. But maybe with a spirit-led intentionality, we can consider how we may spur one another on and how we may encourage one another. Because the day is approaching. That's what it says here in Hebrews. The day is approaching. This day referring to when Jesus returns. And so we all need each other. We need encouragement. We weren't created to just walk the Christian life alone. We weren't created to just show up at Christian stuff. But we were created to be present with a spirit-led intentionality about how we're going to encourage one another. And you know what? If you're someone who has had that negative experience, I want to say to you, I want to implore you and encourage you. Do you know what? You are the perfect person to be part of that solution. You are the perfect person because you've experienced something that, you know, you knew it wasn't quite right. And now you are the perfect person to help make sure that other Christians don't experience what you had to. You can be the change. You can be the change that you want to see in that group. And so you have an opportunity. 
today over morning tea, this week at GC, at Triplet, wherever it may be that you're meeting up with brothers and sisters, you have an opportunity to declare that, you know what, my past negative experience doesn't define my present. I'm going to have a spirit-led intentionality as I consider how to spur my brothers and sisters on towards love and good deeds. You have an opportunity. So your gifts are needed. Secondly, your presence is needed. Thirdly, your prayers are needed. Everyone say that, my prayers are needed. Come on, you can do better than that. My prayers are needed. Thank you. So this is what the Apostle Paul writes in the last chapter. Actually, before I go on, you know, it's not just like a, a gimmick, like repeat it after me, but I actually want you guys to believe this. This is what the Word says, you know? So this is what the Apostle Paul writes in the last chapter of his letter to the Ephesians. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So what's happening here? The context is that Paul has just been teaching the Ephesian church about spiritual warfare, about the battle, the spiritual battle that's going on behind the scenes behind the physical that all Christians or followers of Jesus are involved in. And in this particular verse, he's emphasizing the important, irreplaceable role of prayer in that spiritual battle. Effectively, he's saying prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference in this fight that we're in. And if you didn't know that, I'm here to tell you this morning that if you're a Christian, you're in a fight. You're in a spiritual battle with the devil with the world, with your own flesh. And Paul's saying, your prayer makes a difference. You know, when we say the church moves forward on its knees, that's not just a cute saying. You know, despite the fact that it sounds hashtagable, put it on your Instagram, tweet that out, Facebook status, that's not just a cute saying. We actually believe that. That's what the Bible tells us because the mission and the kingdom of God moving forward in our own lives and in our city and in our world has real opposition. It has real opposition. And so Paul says, pray. Pray, led by the Spirit on all occasions. Pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray alert and with perseverance for all of God's people, for each other. Uh, just yesterday, I was out with Katie and we were running some errands and I was in a car accident. Um, this ute came up from behind and just smashed into the back of me and I was really shaken up. The car was pretty damaged and might even be ridden off. Just shook me up for the whole day. I was like, I had these things to do, had to get home, start working on the sermon, start preparing my heart for this morning. I was feeling discouraged, was feeling under attack. And I had friends and family members who messaged me and said, I heard what happened. You know what? I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm interceding for you. And their prayers actually made a difference. Through their prayers, I was actually strengthened. I felt encouraged. My spirit was lifted. 
I felt the peace of the Spirit in me. Every text message I got as I read it, I felt, wow, this is a grace of God that He is giving through His people. And your prayers make a difference. Your prayers make a difference. And you have an opportunity every day to pray for each other. And you know, as we take hold of that, as we take hold of that opportunity and pray for one another, God is using our prayers. He's using our prayers within our family as we pray for our brothers and sisters. He's using it for protection. He's using it for provision. He's using it for peace. God is using your prayers for His purposes in someone's life. Your prayers actually work. Did you know that when you pray for someone, you're doing ministry. You're ministering to them. You're asking God to do a work in their life for their good and for Jesus' glory. And it's so important to know that because sometimes we think that it's only those with titles who do the ministry. You know, the pastors, the staff, the interns, the GC leaders. If you have an official title, then you're someone who does ministry. But actually, that's not true. Earlier in Ephesians, this is what Paul says. In chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so what Paul is saying is that the work of ministry, the works of service, are not done solely by those with titles, but by all of God's people. In fact, the purpose of pastors and staff, interns and GC leaders, is to equip the body so that holistically the body does the works of service and builds itself up. You know, my friends who prayed for me yesterday, my family members who prayed, they didn't have a title. They weren't pastors. They didn't have a special hotline to God that would mean that he would listen to them more or act more on their behalf. The only title that they had was brother in Christ, sister in Christ. And if you belong to the family of God, then you all have that title as well, brother in Christ, sister in Christ. And that's the only title that you need to do works of ministry. That's the only title that you need to intercede and pray for someone, for God to use you in that way. You know, we call ourselves here at Anchor, you know, we want to be a family of missionaries unto our city. But don't we also want to be a family of prayers? Not just for our city, but for each other as well. And so whether you have an official role or not, we all have a part to play. And so as you teach one another, as you pastor one another, and particularly as you pray for one another, know that you are doing the work of service and ministry. You're building up the body because your prayers are needed. So your gifts are needed, your presence is needed, your prayers are needed, and lastly, your witness is needed. You know what to say, my witness is needed. Come on, say it like you believe it, my witness is needed. I know we're in Sydney, but um, you know, we can do that. So I want to tell you about uh, LeBron James. Any NBA fans in the house? Yeah, come on. 
LeBron James is uh, this basketball player. When he was in high school, he was nationally touted as the next big thing. So he made the jump from high school to the NBA. And if you don't know what that means, it means that he went straight from high school as a 17-year-old to playing in the highest level of competitive basketball in the world. And before his 18th birthday, he signed, it's going to be ridiculous for you to hear, before his 18th birthday, he signed a $100 million shoe endorsement deal with Nike. I know, it's crazy. And the first campaign they did was this campaign called Witness. And so basically they, they hung up these big billboards on, on buildings and on bridges and on stadiums all throughout Cleveland, which is his hometown and where he played. And it was a photo of him and he was you know, wearing his jersey. He had his arms stretched out like this and the word Witness above his arms. The concept of this campaign was that we're all witnesses to LeBron. We're all witnesses to his greatness. We're all witnesses to the ascension of this amazing man. This historic moment. People are going to talk about what he's done. People are going to talk about his mighty deeds. People are going to talk about his amazing performances. And it was a fantastic marketing concept. Uh, it was very effective because the idea was, we're all witnessing this. We're all seeing that this guy is special. There's something about him. He's doing stuff. We're all testifying of it. We're all seeing it. And when it comes to the body of Christ, to the family of believers, we're all witnesses of Jesus, of his legacy of his greatness, of his life, of his death, of his resurrection, of his ascension. And most importantly, we're all witnesses of the fact that the Father sent him into our world to die for us. As it says in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is what we believe. We're witnesses to this fact that God sent Jesus into the world. Though he was sinless, he took on our sin. He took on our sin and died in our place so that through him, by trusting in what he's done for us, we might be righteous, which means that we might have right standing with God. And not just right standing, but relationship, relationship with God. Adoption into his family, the, the presence of the Spirit in our lives. We are accepted, we are delighted, and we are dearly loved. We are empowered and gifted, and we have peace. We have joy. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you might be a skeptic, you might call yourself an atheist, or maybe you, you thought you knew God, but actually you're just doing a whole lot of religious stuff. Here's what you need to know. Jesus died for you so that you can know God. He died for you so that you can have eternal life. And if you trust in what he did for you, dying on that cross and rising to new life, then you can have life, an abundant life, relationship with God. And that's what we believe. That's what we're witnesses of. 
But for those of us who do trust in Jesus, you know, we also need each other's witness every day. We need each other's witness to know that the good news isn't just true, but it's true for me. Because I think, you know, we have this thing sometimes, it's called good news selectiveness. And what that means is that you might be able to relate to this situation. We're so good at telling the good news to others and saying it's true for them, but often so bad at telling ourselves that it's true for us, at believing that. You know, you might be a leader and you can relate to this situation. Someone comes to you, you're discipling them. They come to you with fears, with their struggles, with their anxieties, with their insecurities. And you comfort them and you tell them, it's going to be okay because God loves you. It's going to be okay because Jesus has forgiven you. You're accepted. He's died for you. We're so good at telling the good news to each other, but often so bad at telling it to ourselves. And that's why we need each other's witness that this is true. That Jesus did die for my sins. That he did rise from the dead. That he does offer me new life and a new start. That God has adopted me into his family and he's sent his spirit to dwell in my heart. That heaven is ahead and I have a hope for the future. We need each other's witness to testify to what is true. And you know, as I witness to you, and as you witness to me, together, we can help each other overcome our unbelief. We can help each other overcome this gospel amnesia, this short-term memory loss that we seem to struggle with. And so we need to be witnesses to the good news of Jesus for each other. And not just leaders, but everyone, all of us, in this together. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to be rolling out gospel triplets and encouraging everyone to get in one because, you know, we believe that this is the best context for us to all have the opportunity to be witnesses to the good news of Jesus to each other. We're not rolling them out because we want to put in another structure to adhere to, another time commitment to use up. No, we're putting this in because we believe this is the best opportunity for us to witness that the good news is true for you today. Because we all need help and we all need to be reminded of what is true. So please do embrace that opportunity. Make the most of it. There'll be more information to come. And if there's anything the staff can do or the interns can do or your GC leaders can do to help you get into a triplet, please do not hesitate to ask us. We want to make that as easy as possible. We want to remove as many obstacles as possible. But as we come to a close, I just want to recap. Your gifts are needed. Your presence is needed, your prayers are needed, and your witness is needed. You're needed. I need you and you need me. We're all in this together. That's what it means to be family. So what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? How are you going to let that change you today? Because we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. So how are you going to let that change you today and this week, moving forward as a part of this community? Church isn't an event to attend. It's a family to belong to. And the good news is you are deeply, deeply needed by your family. 
because the Christian life isn't easy. You know, Jesus never promised us an easy life, but He did promise us a great reward. And He's given us each other as a physical reminder that you didn't just get saved into a relationship between you and God, but you got saved into a family. We've got a mission to carry out. We've got a Jesus to make famous with the light of the world. With the light of the world in a city, in a world full of darkness that desperately needs Jesus. We've got a mission to carry out as a family. And guess what? We're going to need each other in that. We're going to need each other. So as we come to a time of response, we're going to have our prayer team on the sides. If you want prayer today for anything at all, what a beautiful expression of family. That we can say, you know, I'm needy and I need you to pray for me. I'm going to be vulnerable and bear my heart before you. Please do come to the sides if you need prayer. We're also going to share in the Lord's Supper. And we're going to remember that this family we get to be a part of, the fact that we get to be needed by each other, that is only made possible by the blood of Jesus. Because He has saved us, because He has redeemed us, He has called us together. And so we get to remember His sacrifice with joyful and thankful hearts. And thirdly, we're going to worship. We're going to worship. We're going to praise His name as a family that is both needy but is beautifully needed by each other. We're going to sing, raise our voices together to Him. So let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have not just saved us as individuals, but you've saved us as a community, that you call us into relationship, into community with one another. And so I pray that you would impress it upon our hearts this morning, that we are deeply needed. We are deeply needed by one another. You have given us gifts to use for the good of the body. You've decided that you will work through us when we're present. You've given us prayers to pray for the sake of each other. And you've given us a glorious, glorious gospel to to be witnesses of unto each other. So continue to unite us, knit us together, and use us for your glory, for this mission, Lord, that you have called us to. Pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.